If you've been with us since Easter Sunday, you know that we are actually journeying through what is called the 50 days of Easter. It is easy to think that um, Easter is just one Sunday, but actually um, Easter spans for a 50-day season. And it is important for us to recognize that the same resurrection power that we believe so deeply in when we gather on an Easter Sunday to say that Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, that we were reminded over and over and over again over the course of those 50 days that Christ's resurrection power is real for us every single day. It's not somehow quarantined to one special Sunday of the year, but that when Christ overcame death, that means all of the little deaths that we sometimes experience in our lives. So we have been reading through passages of scripture that remind us and point to life, that remind us and point to the God of life, that remind us that death is not the final word, but that life and life more abundantly is the final word in our lives. And so this morning, we're going to read from the 17th chapter of Luke's gospel. It is one of my favorite passages of scripture. I'll go ahead and tell you now that um, this passage is one that I have preached before, and I'm going to kind of um, stick to the same kind of uh, consistent theme with this particular passage, but I pray that you will hear it with new ears um, this day as we hear what it is that God, who is the God of life, wants to say to us this day. And so this uh, story might be familiar to some of you. It may be new to others of you, but I pray that you will hear this word from God with new ears, that this word might also be lived out beautifully in our lives. And so hear now these words from John chapter 17, beginning with the 11th verse. And it says this, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, 10 lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him and he was a Samaritan. Now, the reason why uh, this is an important note that he was a Samaritan is that Samaritans were considered to be outsiders. And in Luke's gospel in particular, women and foreigners, those who are considered outsiders by the house of Israel, are oftentimes highlighted to remind us that when Jesus comes to be the fulfillment of the law, that all are included in um, kind of the, the inclusive uh, means of God's grace and salvation. And so uh, Luke is pointing that out to remind us that the outsider recognizes something um, about Jesus. Then Jesus asked, were not 10 made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to them, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And will you pray with me? God, we believe that there is a word you want to speak to us this day. We believe that there is a message that you do not want for it to pass us by. But instead we believe that there is a word that you want to speak to us that will not only land on our ears, but also land on our hearts, that we might believe deeply that you are the God of life. 
So Lord, we ask that you would speak to us in whatever way it is that we will be able to truly hear you, to listen to your words, to take heed of your word, and to live them beautifully with our lives. And by the power of your word and your Holy Spirit, God, we pray that these words would be so rooted in us that they would read us, that they would make us, that they might revive us, that we might live these words in the way that you have called us to. We ask all of this, O oh God, in the strong name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you um, have lived in Raleigh for a while, one thing that we can probably all agree on is that traffic today is very different than what traffic about five years ago was like living in um, the city. There are times when I have to go from my home, which is just a little bit outside of downtown, to Falls of Noosa, uh, North Raleigh, and I just kind of think to myself, I might as well pack an overnight bag because it's going to take me forever um, to get to North Raleigh. I mean, going to Sprouts feels like going to like the farthest ends of the earth uh, from where I live. Uh, recently, I have had to commute every now and again from Durham uh, into Raleigh and from Raleigh back into Durham. And there is no time of day, friends, no time of day, friends, let me just say it one more time, no time of day, friends, when there is not traffic on I-40 from Raleigh to Durham. It will increase your prayer life to be on I-40 basically during any of the waking hours that people also choose to be on the road. Now, there is this one particular portion when you're getting off of the Durham Freeway and the Durham Freeway begins to merge onto I-40 East. And you know what I'm talking about. It's when the two lanes turn into one lane and then it goes back into like uh, now four lanes when you get onto I-40, but all of us have to just agree to disagree that we're going to be in a, like kind of a little bit of bottleneck, a little funnel. Now, this is the thing that I do not understand that people choose to do, friends. When the Durham Freeway then merges into one lane, I, who have been doing the Lord's work, probably listening to gospel music or a very holy podcast, I'm staying in the right lane that I know is going to merge all into the left lane, but there is someone beside me who decides, who is probably not listening to gospel music or listening to a holy podcast, that they're going to get on the median and they're going to drive all the way to the merge point. What I don't understand is that the, the little arrow has been telling you to merge a, a long time ago. But no, 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 no. You want to wait till you get to the merge point. If you're not laughing, it's because you're that person. And when you come to communion today, I need you to come before the Lord and just say, God, I am sorry for being that person. So I'm trying to get to Raleigh like everybody else is trying to get to Raleigh after a very long day of doing the Lord's work. And because in God's infinite wisdom who has softened my heart, I do the thing that we should all do from time to time, and I let the person merge and get in front of me. Now, what breaks my heart more than the fact that the person would get to the end of the merge lane is when I do not see the thank you hand. <laughs> I am trying to let Hezekiah Walker do a thing in me while I'm letting you come in. And you don't even, like, nada this. Sometimes, friends, I feel so grateful to a person who lets me in. I do this and a this and hoping that I'm not going to crash. Like, it's like the hand and the bow, like, mm, you know? When you don't get the thank you hand, there is something that feels a little bit like you've been robbed when you have offered something beautiful or good 
and you don't get a gesture of gratitude for the goodness that you have offered. For a good two miles afterwards, I'll be thinking, I wonder why they didn't put their hand up. <laughs> That's just a small example of the times we feel slighted. But think about when you went above and beyond for someone and they didn't say thank you. When you made yourself humble enough to ask for forgiveness and no thank you. When you sacrificed, maybe not out of the overflow of your life, but what felt like the deficit in your life, and you got no thank you. I can think of moments in my life beyond traffic when I have felt a little bit slighted, when I have done something for someone or I've done something for somebody's and I've not necessarily gotten the, the thank you hand. But I also know what it is like to be the person who has received a great gift when someone has done something to me out of the deficit of their lives or out of the generosity of their spirits and I have not offered up a word of thank you. And it is in this particular passage of scripture in Luke's gospel that Jesus highlights those moments when something beautiful has happened in the lives of those who have experienced God's goodness and there is no thank you or word of gratitude that is offered up. There are these 10 lepers who Jesus heals when he's on his way to Jerusalem and only one of the leper comes back and Jesus says this, but we're not all 10 of them healed, but only one returns. Jesus is asking this question of where was the actor, the gesture of gratitude in this moment? Now, um, if, if you understand the condition of leprosy within scripture, it makes it easy to understand why it is that Jesus is wondering why these, these lepers who have been healed did not come back to him to offer a word of gratitude or thanks. Leprosy was oftentimes uh, basically any condition of the skin where there were open wounds or sores. So it might have been pure leprosy or it could have been some rash or, 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 or some condition that um, began to alienate you from, from your community. If you had leprosy or any of these skin diseases, you were not allowed to live in your own home. You had to scream, unclean, 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 whenever you got close to another person. In fact, people who were considered lepers or who had leprosy, they walked a distance away from other individuals. You, you'll notice that it says that they're walking a distance away from Jesus, but they're screaming at him. Because even if their shadow touches another person, then that other person is considered unclean. Which means that folks in community are trying to avoid them because they don't want to now have to start saying unclean, unclean, unclean. And for these lepers who now know what it is to be alienated, they want no one else to have to suffer being held at arm's length in community. But they scream out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And it says that Jesus says to them, I want you to go to your, the priest and show yourself because that was the only way that you could ever get a clearance to come back into community. And it says that as they're going back to show themselves to the priest, that they became well. Friends, as they are walking back, they're thinking, for my six-month-old that I wasn't there to see her smile, now I can actually hold them. 
for, 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 my, for my loved one that I've not been able to touch their hand. Oh, today is going to be the day that I'm going to get to touch their hand. For the community that I love and who has loved me, that I've had to stay at arm's length. Today is the day that I can present myself and I can be brought back into community and I can be loved, not just from a sense of the heart, but loved bodily. As these lepers are walking away, they are recognizing that everything about their condition has been turned upside down by Jesus, and now their unclean, unclean status is going to be turned to clean, whole, brought back. So it's understandable that they're making this uh, trek to go see the priests to show themselves because they're ready to be in community. But it says that one, that one who had the condition of leprosy turns back. And when he comes back to Jesus, he is so overwhelmed by the reality that has happened in his life that it says that he lays prostrate. That means he, he's, he's literally on the, on the ground before Jesus, thanking God for what has happened. There is such an overwhelm of gratitude that this leper does not worry about um, being a little bit irreverent to show Jesus just how grateful he or she is for the way in which Jesus has worked in the leper's life. And when this one who was unclean, is now clean, comes back to Jesus. Jesus asked the question, but not, were not all of you made well? Were not all of you cognizant of the fact that this day has changed for you? Were not all of you uh, mindful of the, the ways in which your life has been turned all around? We're not all of you realizing that today was a day of breakthrough. We're not all of you mindful of the fact that today you can be hugged and that you can hug. We're not all of you aware of the fact that no longer can anyone call you unclean, but now you can be called whole. Now, I don't think Jesus is asking this question because Jesus has ego, like, oh my gosh, I just totally need people to, like, you know, give me a whole lot of public praise. I don't think that's the case. But I do think that Jesus understands the posture we are to have whenever God gives to us good and overwhelmingly gracious gifts. That when God pours out God's love upon us or God's mercy upon us or God's healing upon us or God's uh, um, grace upon us, that the instinct within us should be that of gratitude and praise to the Most High God. Because gratitude and praise actually saves us from ourselves. Let me help you to understand this. When we have gratitude or praise, that means um, our affection is moved in a, 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 in a direction other than for ourselves, which means that we know in that moment it's not that I earned it, I didn't have to snatch it, I didn't have to jump through holy hoops for it, but instead the thing that God did for me was a gift offered to me unmerited. Gratitude saves us from ourselves, of thinking that we've got to have just the right formula in order to bump into goodness as opposed to recognizing that sometimes because God is just good, goodness is poured out over us. 
And then all we know to do is to get on our faces and to say, thank you, God. Now, you know the beautiful thing about this particular passage? It says that when this um, leper comes back and begins to thank Jesus. Now, this leper at this point in time should not be called a leper. This leper should be called the one who has now been made uh, whole or clean. Jesus then says to him, your faith has made you well. Actually, the word faith and praise in this particular passage of scripture can be used interchangeably. Meaning that, yes, I know that your skin is now as smooth as a baby's, but your gratitude or your praise has done a deeper healing in your heart. You, you are going to walk away with something happening on the inside that is greater than the thing that people might see on the outside. Your praise has made you well. Your gratitude has made you well. Your thanksgiving has made you well. When Martin Luther, who is the great um, theologian, was asked to describe worship, he said it's embodied in the gesture of the leper who turned back. That's what worship looks like. That our chief end is to glorify and to praise God and to give thanks for what God is up to in our lives. In the midst of our desperate moments, to praise and to give thanks. And our highest and most glorious moments, to praise and to give thanks. To return back to God for the ways in which God has given us something. And whether it may be those things that are significant or insignificant in our lives. That worship before the Most High God just looks like us offering up gratitude for the ways in which God shows love and goodness to us. I can think of the times in my life when I have been slighted. When I'd wanted someone just to whisper a thank you. But it is often when I come into this gathering place called worship that I'm most cognizant of when I have slighted God and not said thank you. Do you need to turn back? For the relationship that's on the mend, do you need to turn back? For the peace that begins to come in the middle of the night, do you need to turn back? For the situation that you're beginning to see change just a little bit, do you need to turn back? For the lightness you've been feeling over the past three weeks, do you need to turn back? For the self-flogging that has been reduced by about 30%, do you need to turn back? For knowing that Christ loves you, not because what you have done, but just because of who you are, do you need to turn back? That Christ would die for you, even though you are not worthy. Do you need to turn back? That Christ would raise you and also be raised for you. Do you need to turn back? Is there a place in your life that you can conjure up right now 
a moment, a reality that you need to turn back so that you might be able to say to Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes as we go to God in prayer. What are you grateful for? What is God doing for you or in you that you know it's only by the grace of God? How is God showing up? Maybe in others' words or in the presence of the people around you that has nothing to do how you have shown up in this world, but has everything to do with the fact that God loves you. Where does the hand of your heart need to offer God the thank you? God, thank you that we have breath in our lungs. God, thank you that we're not alone on a Sunday. God, thank you for the person who's praying for me. God, thank you that I don't know how I'm going to get through tomorrow, but I know that I'm here. God, thank you for the healing in my mind. Maybe you need to say, God, thank you for the healing of my soul. God, thank you for the relationships and the situations that you are healing and reconciling. God, thank you for the new opportunities on the horizon. God, thank you. Lord, we pray that we would be the people who turn back that this week, Lord, whether it be things that are small or they seem larger than life, that we will be a people of gratitude, that we would whisper, or Lord, if it's appropriate, even shout to the heavens for all that you have done for us, for all that you are doing, for all that is to come. Jesus, we say thank you. And we offer ourselves to you in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ, who will tell us in our desperate places, even your praise, your gratitude can make you whole. It's in his name we pray.